Good morning, all. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. Uh, the folks who typically come to 1115 will be here in about an hour. And so you may have to see them on the way out. So congratulations on getting up at least, you know, before noon on this day. It's a, it's a little awkward, isn't it, uh, for us? But uh, daylight saving is, uh, is just that. It'll help us in the summertime, I guess. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so thrilled you're here, and we're on the subject of prayer during these 40 days, 40 weekdays between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. This is called Lent on the Christian calendar, and we are considering the most important subject of prayer. Today, I want to use the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that Jesus taught the disciples as a model, as a template of ways that we can pray every day. And you should be able to take the outline from today's message, put it in your Bible, and use it every day as a guide for prayer. And I hope it will be just that practical for you and that meaningful. So we've taken as our text today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and I'm going to read for us verses 9 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen for you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. These are the words of Jesus now as he was teaching this important prayer. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. All through the Bible, we have individuals who model for us effective prayer. Uh, the Apostle Paul is a good example of this. Oftentimes in the letters that he writes, the New Testament letters, you hear him using phrases like, I'm always praying for you, continually praying, constantly praying without ceasing, never stop praying for you. And so obviously prayer was a vital part of his life. We read other stories in the, in the, in the Bible where, where the men and women of faith had a regular prayer life. Daniel, for example, it says that he prayed three times a day in the morning, at noon, in the evening. The book of Psalms gives you every human emotion known to man, and so you can pray through the Psalms. Just, uh, the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible, and you can just pray any of the Psalms and just say, Lord, make this my prayer today, because there are all kinds of prayers. There are all varieties of prayers. So let me just uh, start with just giving you two general ideas about prayer as practically as I can. The first is the first uh, insert that you want to put on your bulletin there, the first, out, the first uh, blank that you need to fill in, and that is to keep a running conversation with God. Keep a running conversation with God. This is more spontaneous praying. This is praying just about anything at any time during the day. This is one of the ways that you can pray without ceasing. Never cease to pray is by being spontaneous about it. You do this uh, in, inside your own mind. You are processing with yourself all the time. Something good happens, something fun, something uh, that you approve of. You are taking note of that. Oh, I like that. That tastes good. That looks good. Uh, or maybe you're in a moment where you're under pressure and this feels a little off. And so you're constantly internalizing those things. 
just if you'll just turn it one or two degrees and include God in the conversation that you're having, it can be spontaneous and conversational and can be a means of prayer. God invites us to pray with him anytime about anything. And so it can be spontaneous and a conversational style. Now here's the, the other general thing that I'd like to say. It's the second point on the outline, which is that scheduling prayer times is also important. Prayer times. So prayer is not only spontaneous, conversational, but can also be prayers that you plan, prayers that you think out, you think through, you, you consider your prayers, you structure your prayers. And that's why I want to use the Lord's Prayer as a template, if you will, for an effective prayer life. Let me just uh, bring up this interesting anecdote from history. In the first century, Palestine, of course, they were under Roman occupation. And the Roman Empire, wherever they were in the world in those days, they would mark the day with bells. So every few hours, wherever you were in the Roman Empire, they would ring a bell that could be heard throughout the region, the city, and it would mark the time of the day. So people knew what time it was. And the Jews living under occupation and then the first century church, the Christians at the time, they began to use the chiming of these bells on three-hour increment usually as the call to prayer. And so as soon as they heard the Roman bells, they would use that as a moment to pray. Very effective. Then later in history, uh, the monks in these monasteries were the first ones to build bell towers. And the reason they built these towers with the bells is so that in these increments, they could ring the bells as a call to prayer. Right along about the 1400s, the monks said to themselves, you know, we've got, we've got to have a, a monk manning the bell every few hours. Why don't we try to develop and engineer a timepiece of some sort that will automatically chime the bell on the, on the correct hour? And this is when the first timepieces began to emerge, 1400s. Now, this may be interesting to you. It was interesting to me that the Latin word for bell is a word spelled C-L-O-C. So the Latin word for bell is clock. And so, and so we've, we live with clocks, right? We have clocks everywhere. They're on our phone, on our wrists, hanging in our homes. Clocks are everywhere. And we've come to believe that clocks are there just to remind us of our schedule or to keep us moving, to keep us on time, to compress our lives, compartmentalize our lives and basically force us into, a, into rushing around all the time. But that's not the original purpose of a clock. The original purpose of the clock was the call to prayer. How interesting is that? And, and so we see throughout history the people of God very intentional about prayer. Now, uh, our good friend Terry Takel, I wanted to tell you this little anecdote uh, Dr. Takel is our good friend, and he's an apostle of prayer, and he has written many books on prayer, and, and he is uh, doing his latest initiative now in Texas, starting there, and he's been bugging me. He wants to come up here and employ all of us, too, but this is his deal. He wants, he wants to organize one million people who will stop at 12 o'clock noon and pray the Lord's Prayer. So he's calling this Pray Down at High Noon. Pray down at high noon. <laughs> and he's got a big Christian radio station in Houston who's, who's on this. And he's, he's already got hundreds of thousands of people who have signed up. I agree. At high noon, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, you can pray the Lord's Prayer in about 30 seconds. 
with a normal cadence. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king. And so 30 seconds is all it takes to pray the Lord's Prayer. And you can do that in 30 seconds. Or you can actually use the Lord's Prayer in a segmented way all the way through the day. And so that's how I'm imagining us using the Lord's Prayer in this particular context. So on your outline, let's work through these segments of the Lord's Prayer as practically as we can so that it can become an outline for your daily prayer. Here's number one. Get up with gratitude. Get up with gratitude. In other words, this is the prayer of thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, he's a good God. Someone said, did you wake up grumpy? And I said, no, I just left her in bed and came on to work. <laughs> You've probably heard that one. But you can, you can you can work up griping, groaning, grousing, grumbling, growling, grunting. That's my favorite. Wake up grunting. What's that about? I don't even know. But grunting seems to help. Or you can wake up grateful, filled with gratitude. You can be thankful for all that God has done for you. Did you know that doctors have discovered the single healthiest emotion is gratitude? Does that surprise anyone? That when you're thankful, it releases chemicals in your, in your body that actually changes your disposition and makes you healthier emotionally, relationally, physically. Yeah, gratitude, very interesting. So here's what I recommend, that you create a gratitude list. Just keep it by your bed. When you wake up in the morning, you know, you're just waking up. You're not fully alert. You're not awake yet. But you can take the list and you can begin to be grateful to God. Maybe even go to Spotify or iTunes and ask your phone to build a genre of, of uh, Thanksgiving songs, worship songs that express thanksgiving to God, gratitude to God. Just let it play for you and, and put you in the spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. So get up with gratitude. Here's the second thing. Bless God's name at breakfast. Bless his name. Now this, is, this goes from thanksgiving now to praise. And the phrase is, hallowed be your name. Be your name. And to hallow someone's name means to honor, respect, praise, adore someone's name. Psalm 145, verse 2, every day I will bless your name. Now, what's, what's that about? Why is a name important? Well, you understand that. You know that a good name, a good reputation is, is to be esteemed. We know people who say, who's got a good reputation? And you could just start naming a handful of people that you know who have a good name. And it opens doors of opportunities if you have a good reputation. And just the opposite is true. If, you're, if your name isn't accompanying a good reputation, it's a bad reputation, that doors close and other things change. So there's a lot in a name. You may not know that in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, there are over 100 different names for God. 100 different names for God. Now, why does God need 100 different names? Well, one of the reasons is because he wants us to know who he is. And so knowing his various names help us understand who he is in his character and his attributes and his capacity. So knowing his names help us know God. I've put some of the names of God right there in your bulletin. No fill in the blanks or anything. I just want you to have those. You, you can use these to pray. For example, God refers to himself as Abba. He's Father. He's our Daddy. He's our Papa. It's a very intimate term. And so God invites us to come to him as a loving Father. Yeah. So his name is Abba, 
father. How about, how about this one? Uh, Jehovah Rapha. Now that's a compound name of God, Jehovah Rapha. And that's really good news because Jehovah Rapha means the God who heals. And who doesn't need healing? We need healing in our body, healing in our minds, healing in our relationships, healing in our emotions. We need to know a God who gives healing to his people. His name is Jehovah Rapha. How about El Shaddai? This is a big one. This means the God who is almighty, all-powerful. I've got all the power you need. You say, I'm getting weak. Lord, I'm not sure I can make it. No problem. My name is El Shaddai. I'm the God who, is, who, who supplies you with all the power you need. Love that stuff. How about Jehovah Jireh? You ever feel like in your life you're never going to have enough? It's all, you're always going to fall short. I don't have what it takes. Wait a minute. I can connect with, I can pray to the God whose name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the God who is more than enough. That's his name. That's who he is. That's his characteristic. How about, how about the next one, Jehovah Shalom, which means I am your peace. Ever find a need for peace in your life? Are you kidding? Yes, all the time. I have everything but peace. I need your peace. Well, good news, God's name, his characteristics, who he is, he's Jehovah Shalom. He is your peace. This last one, I love this one, it's Jehovah Tzidkanu, which means I am your righteousness. That simply means you don't have to earn your own salvation. You don't have to pay for your own salvation. God has already provided it for us. His name is Tzidkanu. Now, why does this matter? Why does this have uh, application to our prayer life? Well, it's because all prayer, listen to me, all prayer is based on how much you know God. The effectiveness of your prayer isn't based on how much you know about prayer. Your fruitfulness, your passion, your purposeful praying, productive praying is based on your knowledge of who God is, not just on your knowledge of prayer. The more you understand who God is, the more effectual and effective your prayers are going to be. Does that make sense? The more you understand that God is your peace, God is your power, God is your provision, God is the one who makes a way for you when there is no way, God is your loving Father who embraces you and loves you no matter what, the more you understand about God, the more confidence you're going to have in prayer, the less worry you will experience in your life because I know who God is and I know what he's like based on his names. He's revealed himself to me. I know who he is. I know he's on my side. I know he's got whatever it takes to meet my need. And so I can have confidence in that. Now, I confessed to you in the first message of the series that I have two, um, two great sins when it comes to prayer, personally. One of my sins is I don't pray enough. Prayerlessness is one of my sins. And then the other sin that I confess to you, and I'll confess it again, is that when I pray, I tend to pray little faithless prayers, little puny little prayers, little tiny little prayers, little pitiful little prayers. Oh, God, if you could just help me with this. I, I feel a little wobbly. If you could just help me, I just a little teaspoon. Please help me, God. And it's pathetic. And I don't know what's the matter with me. Serve a great big God. He's El Shaddai. Please. He's all El Shaddai. He's all powerful. And I pray little puny prayers. That's not right. 
And so, and so my wife helps me because she doesn't wobble like I do. She seems, she, her faith seems to be really strong all the time. And so what happens in our journey from time to time is she'll see that I'm wobbly, and then she'll ask me this question. I've, ref, I've referred this to you before. She will look at me, and she says, well, do you trust him? And she's encouraging me. She's trying to help me get perspective, and it is helpful, you know, when it's not annoying. And so she's trying to help me to be encouraged about that, and she's reminding me, wait a minute, do you trust a God who's big, who's powerful, who provides, who's more than enough, who can provide you with peace, has everything within his control? Can you trust a God like that? Do you believe he'll be faithful? Do you believe you can rely on him? And that's all in that question, do you trust him? And so I say, yeah, yeah, I do, I trust him. I, I know I can, I want to, I, and I know I can, I, yes, I trust him. This week, the reason I bring this all up, because this week, this week we were praying about something that's very important to both of us, and I saw that she was wobbly. Now, this only happens, you understand, about once every 15 years or so. So anytime it happens, I always seize on the moment. And so I saw her, I saw her wobbly, and then I looked at her, and I, looked, and I smiled, and I said, do you trust him? Bam! Right there. See, I got her. It was so, so gratifying. She said, yes, I trust him. <laughs> And the reason you want to trust him is because he's trustworthy. His name is great, and he's greatly to be praised. You can count on the Lord our God. He is with us. So pray that, his name, at breakfast. Now here's number three. Write this down. At mid-morning, you might want to remember what matters most. Now this is a dedication kind of prayer, as you remember what matters. Matthew 6.10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you ever find yourself getting a little off track, kind of off the purpose of your life, the main thing of your life? Do you ever find yourself distracted? Can I get a witness? Anyone ever lose their way? Listen, this happens all the time. It's so easy for us to do this. And so this prayer becomes so important. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you this question. Does America need to pray this prayer? Are, are we a little off track? Yeah? Do we need God's agenda in our families, in our values, in our mores? Yeah, we need God's help. So we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another way of thinking about this is whatever is true in heaven, let it be true on the earth. Whatever is going on up there, let it happen down here. Up there, down here. Up there, Lord, whatever is going on up there, let it happen down here. We just put this new set together for the worship times. Then you can see what's happening here. We've got a city that's up there and a city that's down there. And you can see that we want them to touch each other. This is, this is symbolic of this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a powerful way to pray. And so it's embedded right in their Lord's prayer there. And so we want to grab a hold of that. And remember what matters most. So helpful. Let your kingdom come. Let me just remind you of something. We are living in history. His story. And there are people in our world today, philosophically, who believe that the world is, is historically circular. So that things are just coming back around and continually repeating itself. And 
It, it goes on and on and on without stopping. And this is just the way it is on the earth. It just grinds ahead in circles. And it's a circular worldview. But the Bible does not teach that we have a circular history. The Bible teaches that we have a linear history. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there was a beginning, there will be a middle, we're living in that right now, and there's going to be an end. The Bible teaches that one of these days, Jesus is going to return to the earth, and he's going to establish his kingdom. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is not only for our daily needs and our contemporary realities, but this is a futuristic prayer that believes that the kingdoms of this world will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Yeah, it's all going to come to an end. It's going to change because Jesus is coming again. It's good preaching right there. Now, here's number four. You want to write this down. List my needs at lunch. List my needs at lunch. Now, this is the petition part. The phrase is, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, there it is. It's the fourth phrase of the Lord's Prayer. So if we need today, we need energy, we need resources, contacts, favor, wisdom, provision, manna. Remember in the wilderness, people of God only got manna one day at a time. It's only good for one day. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. So we make our petition, anything you want. The Bible says in John 14, 13, you can ask for anything in my name, Jesus said. So whatever it is, you need a job, you need a car, you need a different place to live, you need a new skateboard, whatever it is, you can ask for anything in my name, Jesus said. And so that's the invitation. This is called the petition. Now, along with petition is also intercession. This is when we can ask for people that we know. Maybe there are people we are aware of or people we know and love who actually have needs. Maybe they need to be healed or they need peace or they need provision or they need protection. They need some issue in their life. This is a time to intercede. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking for provision to come into the needs of our lives and the lives of others. And it's a very powerful prayer. Listen to Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious but instead, in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that affirming and, and warm? It's just very encouraging. So ask for your daily bread. Now, here's number five. You want to write this down. Number five, ask for forgiveness in the afternoon. Forgiveness. Now, this is about confession. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, there it is. Now, let's just summarize. What does this mean? Forgive us our sins. It means you confess the things you've done wrong. You admit your sins. And while you're at it, you forgive everybody else who sinned against you. Ask for forgiveness for yourself. Extend forgiveness to others. This is the confession part of it. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly. Listen to me closely. Listen to your pastor. God, listen, God does not want you to live under the weight of guilt and shame resulting from your failure. He does not. You should feel guilt. Guilt is a healthy thing when it lasts just long enough to prompt you 
to confess your sin and to receive God's forgiveness. The reason people feel guilty is because they've, they've done things that are guilt-filled. And so it's normal to feel guilt. But God doesn't want you to live under guilt. Listen to me carefully. Just because you have a bunch of sin in your life, people walk around, you know, and they're all burdened down with guilt and shame. Oh, I'm just a lowly person. You know, thank God he forgave me, I, but I've made so many mistakes in my life. No, 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 no. That's not how God wants you to live. You're not more spiritual just because you walk around carrying a bunch of guilt and shame for what's happened in your life. Here's what God knows. God knows we're all going to mess up. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short. God knows we're all going to stumble and fall. He already knows that. And so he's made provision for that in the forgiving grace of his son, Jesus Christ. And so our role in that process is to simply admit what we've done, confess our sin, and allow him to forgive us, wash us clean, and unburden us from the weight of it, which does nothing but keep us from God's best in our lives. So he doesn't want us walking around under a load of guilt and shame. I just preached a sermon, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago on shame, a shame-based kind of worldview. You should listen to that again, because here's what I've observed. We have lots of people in our world, lots and lots, too many, 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 too many, too many, too many, too many, too many Christian people who live with regrets from their past, which makes them worrisome and fearful of the future. Regrets from the past, guilt and shame, weighing down people's lives, distorting their worldview, corrupting their sense of personhood, and as a result of that, they find themselves fearful and worrisome about the future. And when you're when you're burdened down by, by the regrets of the past, which causes fear and worry about the future, it keeps you from living productively and fruitfully in today. So here's what, I, here's what I've observed. People regretting their past and worrying about the future waste their present. But as it turns out, friends, today the present is all we have. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow isn't here. The only time you have to live is right now. And you can't let regrets from the past and worries about the future keep you from God's plan for your life right in this moment. Do you, can you hear that? And so the, the best way to cope with this whole, this whole challenge is to confess your sins and unburden and unpack the regrets and the sins of the past so that you can have a hopeful future and live a vital and victorious today. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the road to it. So I admit my sins and I forgive others who frustrated me. Listen to Psalm 32, verse 5. I confessed my sins to you, didn't try to hide them, then you forgave me, now all my guilt is gone. That's what you want. Free at last. Free, free, free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You're not spiritual because you feel guilty. No, no. You're not spiritual because you feel shame over your mistakes. You're just deceived into thinking that somehow carrying it is a good thing. It's not. It's not good at all. Well, how, how long should I carry it? About five seconds. From the time you realize you did something wrong to the time it takes you to confess your sin and get free from it. Get, get that off of me. And move on. Move on in the wonderful grace of God. Yeah. 
I, I love to watch these uh, TV shows that take old cars and make them new again. You know, the, a big pile becomes beautiful again. I don't know. I, I'd love to watch those guys do that. I can't do it, but I'm just impressed with the guys who can. And so I watch that. And you watch the commercials on their shows, and it's all about additives and supplements for the automotive industry. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an additive you can put in your gas tank, and it says it'll clean your engine. And the reason it gets my attention is because the, t- the tagline is, a clean engine is more powerful. Okay, now, I want my engine clean. That's how I want my engine. I want it clean. Because when it's clean, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Clean engine, more powerful. More efficient, more power. Clean equals power. Like that in my engines. Here's something else I know to be true. A clean human being is a more efficient human being. A person with a clean soul is a more resilient follower of Jesus. And God knows we need as much resilience as we can get in today's world. Yes? And so a clean soul will make you more resilient. And so confess your sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. All right, now here's number six. Ask God to help me make wise decisions. Make wise decisions. Now, this is the protection part of the prayer. The phrase is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Studies indicate that 90% of all fights in a home take place one hour before dinner in the evening. Maybe you didn't know that. 90% of fights in the home take place one hour before dinner in the evening. Let me tell you why. Low blood sugar, people are tired, and people are hungry. Hangry. So the dad comes home, yells at the wife. The wife yells at the kids. The kid kicks the dog. The dog chases the cat. The cat bites the head off of the Barbie doll, and all breaks loose. What happened to our peaceful Christian family? Everyone's just going nuts. Folks need food. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm tempted in my life in certain categories. Uh, You've heard me tell this. About seven or eight years ago, I lost 50 pounds off of my physical body. And so all of these years now, I have been on a persistent diet. And I I will be on a diet now for the rest of my life. I went 54 years, and I ate anything I wanted in any quantity I wanted it. 54 years. Now, that's a good run. And I can tell you right now, I didn't get cheated. I was, I was very serious about my food, and I ate a lot of it. And, and so that changed. There seven or eight years ago, and so now I'm on a perpetual diet. Here's what I've learned about myself. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, I am a, 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 an expert on dieting. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I am... I could write the book on dieting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm strong. I'm a model. I'm I'm a professional. If I got paid for dieting between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., I'd be rich. My problem is 6 p.m. to midnight. Can I get a witness? This is a hard time for me. The refrigerator, the cupboard, they become demonized. 
at 6 p.m. to midnight. It seduces me. It calls for me. It, it pleads for me. It, it's, it's, it's after me. Ugh. So I have to pray. <laughs> oh, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. It's just a refrigerator. But it's horrible. And you all have your stuff. You all have your issues. You know, it's that, it's that store. It's that model of item. It's, it's the TV. It's the computer screen. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody's got their level of temptation. And that's, and that's true. So, so here's what we have to do. We have to trust God to give us the power to overcome. 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is the most important verse in the Bible on this subject. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I put it on your outline. It says, remember that the temptation, that, temptations that come into your life, they're no different from in, any other temptation. In other words, if you think you're special, I know, I know he's tempted. He's not tempted like I am. There's nobody tempted as tempted like me. Yeah, yeah. Get over yourself. You're not, you're not tempted any more aggressively than anybody else. Oh, no, it's, it's so powerful. I can't, I can't, I just can't resist. Stop it. Everybody, everybody suffers temptation, just like you do. That's what the scripture teaches. All the temptations that come into your life, they're no different from any other's experience. And God is faithful. That's the, that's the middle of that verse. It doesn't say your resolve is great, your willpower is sufficient. It says God is faithful. That's helpful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you don't give in to it. So here's this wonderful promise. Your temptation is no different than anybody else's, and God is faithful, and he will actually give you the strength you need to overcome and, get, and, and find a way out. So just a reminder, it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted just like we were. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when you give in to the temptation. Here's how Martin Luther said it of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So you can't, you can't keep the thoughts from coming. You can't keep the temptation from coming, but you can keep the temptation from becoming sin and a stronghold in your life. So you can't control every idea that comes into your mind. That's why you need to be careful what you put into your mind. Now, there are lots of people, there are lots of people in our world today concerned about the environment, and so they talk about air pollution and water pollution, and that's good because we should be good stewards of the, of the planet. That's a Christian responsibility, a virtue. And so, yeah, concerned about air pollution, water pollution, things like that. I don't hear as many people talking about mind pollution. And I want to submit to you, there's a whole lot more mind pollution out there available than there is this other types of pollution. And so people have become open-minded. In fact, people have become so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. You could go for a month on that one. So guard your mind and what you put in it. Yeah. So you can overcome temptation. All right, here's the seventh thing. Last thing, we're, at the, we're, we're, in the, we're on final approach. Here it is. Number seven, I end my day with an encouraging truth. This is the benediction. This is the end of the prayer. For yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Now that's really hopeful because it reminds us that God is in control. Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory. So God is in control. Now that's good news. That means politicians aren't in control. That means other nations are not in control. That means your boss isn't in control. God is in control. And it also means that this isn't the end of the story. Maybe you're in a part of your story right now, a season of your life, and you just think this is hopeless, there's no way out. No, no, this too will pass. You'll pop through the other side because God is in control. His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And even if, even if you're not going to pop through the other side on this life, maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe this is the beginning of the end of you on the earth. Still good news because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For how long? Forever. <laughs> so here's what we do. The people who know God and belong to his family, if you go to the end of the book and read what happens, you'll see that there's absolute and ultimate victory at the end for those who know their God. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I love this uh, quote from Corey Ten Boom. Corey survived the Holocaust, World War II, and lived to a ripe old age. And she wrote in one of her books, and I quote, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. There it is. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let me share one more story. We'll be done. This comes from 150 years ago. A Boston woman whose name was Mary Ann Kidder married a man, a printer. They had three kids. They loved God. And their happiness was broken by the Civil War, and he was conscripted into the Northern Army. And Mary Ann Kidder's husband was killed at the Battle of Antietam. And within a short time after her husband died, Marianne Kidder's son drowned, 12 years old. And shortly after that, her only daughter also died. Are you getting the picture? In her grief, Marianne Kidder began to write hymns, born of her pain, her grief, and out of her faith. 200 hymns were written by Marion Kidder, many of which found their way into prominent hymnals to this day. Millions of people have been blessed by the hymns of Marion Kidder. One of those hymns was entitled, Did You Think to Pray? I want to share the lyrics of the hymn with you as we conclude. When you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you ask for loving favor as a shield today? When you met with great temptation, did you think to pray? By his dying love and merit, did you claim the Holy Spirit as your guide and stay? When your heart was filled with anger, did you think to pray? Did you plead for grace, my brother, that you might forgive another who had crossed your way? When strong trials came upon you, did you think to pray? As your heart was filled with sorrow, 
Reckon she knew something about that? When your heart was filled with sorrow, did the love of Christ you borrow at the gates today? The refrain goes like this. Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change your night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Let's pause and pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father who art in heaven, you're a good, good, good Father. And Lord, teach us to be grateful for everything you've done. Help us to start each day with gratitude, the help, healthiest emotion. And hallowed be your name. Lord, your name tells us all the things you've promised to be and do in our lives. Help us to learn your names so that we will know that you are always present to give us power, healing, and peace. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to seek first your kingdom. We want your plans and purposes for the world and for our lives. We don't want to be in cross purposes with you. We want to seek first your purpose, believing that as we do, everything else will be added. So give us this day our daily bread, just enough to get me through the day. Strength and wisdom, provision. Thank you, God, for your provision in our lives. And forgive us all of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, God, we pray, remove the guilt and the shame and the resentment and the bitterness from life. We remind ourselves that life is too short and your call is too great on our lives for us to waste energy on such things anymore and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil so Lord help us to make wise decisions not impulsive ones not foolish ones deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever so Lord when we're down or depressed or overwhelmed feel discouraged help us to remember that you are in control. You're in charge. You're still on the throne. That this is not the end of the story. There's more to life than here and now. And ultimately, you have called us to victory. Now, one more thing, friends. If you're in the room this morning and you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, here's a simple prayer. I'll say the words. You believe them in your heart. God will hear you. Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. Change me. Save me. Include me in your family. I want to get to know you and serve you. I humbly ask this in your most holy name. And the people said, amen.